Testing. Oh, there it is. Okay, getting all the things ready. Excuse me. It's <laughs> a lot of accessories. Things. Okay. Um, hey, good to see you all this morning. Uh, good to be together. Um, that's not in my script, and I'm still happy about it. Um, okay, so I am reading a new book that talks about the link between thinking and our bodies. It's called The Extended Mind by Annie Murphy Paul. Uh, anybody heard of this book or heard about it? A uh, couple? Okay. Um, there's a chapter, it's a phenomenal book, great stuff. There's a chapter on gestures and the gestures we make with our bodies. And she shares about how gestures are both a tool for effective communication and they're also a way that we get our bodies to help us make meaning in the world. And I want to practice this all together this morning, okay? So we're going to practice with a couple gestures. I want to invite you to stand up as you're able. All right, we're going to practice with a kind of a goofy gesture, air quotes. Go ahead. Yeah, all right. Yeah, you guys are pros at air quotes. Um, I love air quotes because you can fill them with sarcasm and irony, two of my absolute favorite things. Like recently, one of my kids called me an idiot, and I said, oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm an idiot who drives you to soccer practice, and an idiot who makes all your food, and an idiot who buys you nice clothes. Maybe I should stop being an idiot and doing those nice things for you. The conversation, I don't think, went great after that, but I felt better. <laughs> and that's the point of parenting, right? <laughs> All right, air quotes. So we are going to try out saying a sentence using air quotes. I'm going to drop them. I'm going to demonstrate for you, and we'll all practice it together, okay? So let me demonstrate. I am a human being, okay? <laughs> all right, so your turn. Repeat after me. I am a human being. All right, let's try it one more time. Repeat after me. I am a human being. Okay, what did that do for you? <laughs> a little odd, a little weird. It's, it's without context, right? So if we were in a conversation and we dropped that, there would be way more for us to figure out what's going on. All right, let's try a different gesture now. We're going to do the same sentence, but this time... I want to invite you to place your hand over the center of your chest, over your heart. Okay, don't do a floppy fish, right? You, you want your hand a little firm, just a little firm, okay? And then with a little bit of pressure over your chest, all right? You should feel it. And I'll demonstrate first. I am a human being. All right, now, your turn. Repeat after me. I am... A human, being. a human being. Good. Now let's try it one more time. And this time I want to invite you, if you want, you don't have to, to close your eyes. And repeat after me. I'll do it in two separate phrases. You ready? I am a human being. Okay. That's different, isn't it? All right, you may have a seat. All right, we went from little goofy air quotes to this, the same sentence, and we utterly transformed the meaning of that sentence and what it is doing in us. 
pretty cool. With our bodies, we did that. It didn't happen up here in our heads. It happened in our bodies. Very, very cool. Now, I love the book. I love the idea, and I love practicing because, you know, I think about faith as a full-bodied endeavor. Faith is not merely about the intellectual exercises of the ideas or assertions or beliefs, but it is about our full being, all of our bodies and what we are doing. Now, this is very, very common. We talk about this a lot at Sanctuary. So this is old hat. You're like, yeah, 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 we know. Um, but it's, it's pretty amazing how much of Christianity misses this and, and kind of hangs their hat on the intellectual completely forgetting about the body. And we're trying, there's a whole conversation going on right now in Christianity about reclaiming the body, um, at least out of the traditions that we've been a part of. I recognize many traditions have been on this for centuries. We're catching up to them, so sorry. <laughs> we're getting there. Um, okay, I want to turn now to a Bible story that I think features some important gestures that really bring the meaning of the story to life. And there's a couple gestures that are explicitly identified in the story and a couple that I kind of read into the story. And you'll see what I mean when we get there. All right, so we're going to pick up the story. It comes from the book of Mark, which is one of the stories of Jesus' life, one of the gospel stories. We're going to pick it up in chapter 8 and verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. We're going to pause and unpack that. Now, we're about halfway through Mark's version of Jesus' life. Halfway point. Mark is the shortest book on Jesus' life, the shortest gospel. It's 16 chapters. You can read in about 15 minutes. Halfway through is chapter 8. So this is a very pivotal moment for Jesus and his disciples. We're right about halfway. And Jesus initiates a conversation about who he is, his identity. At this point in the story, he is becoming famous. Social media is blowing up, okay? Definitely some hype coming around about Jesus. He's an itinerant rabbi who walks around teaching and proclaiming messages about the kingdom of God. He uses the Bible as a springboard into these lively messages and teachings. And he performs deeds of power, healings, and miracles. So he's really, really grabbing people's attention. They want to know and they want to be around him. And people are starting to wonder, who is this Jesus? Like, what's going on here? What, what's going on? And so Jesus asks his disciples, well, what are the rumors, guys? Tell me, what do people say about me? And they give him three options. And here's where I see the air quotes, or at least quotes, okay? So we've got three options. John the Baptist, Elijah, and one of the prophets. Now, they, the disciples report these three options back, and they're probably not being sarcastic, right? But I kind of love the idea of them using air quotes. Well, some of them say, Elijah, you know? And they'd be like, huh, what does that mean? And the gesture of quotes, what I'm trying to do here is it makes it so these are concepts out here, right? They're out here. The disciples kind of loft them in the air. Three options, Jesus 
And we're going to play with those options because they're out here. They're not internalized to Jesus. They're externalized options. Now, all three of them suggest that overwhelmingly people really respect Jesus. And they think of him as a very, very highly trained person, prophet, minister, teacher, rabbi, a prominent, well-respected religious leader, which is certainly true with our first option, John the Baptist. Okay, I'll just, and I'll just walk through each of these options really quickly here. John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus. He had a very, very similar message to Jesus. Repent, believe, God has come. That's the message. (laughs) Jesus is saying basically the same thing. And so people start to conflate these two, that they're the same person. You know, Coke, Pepsi, same thing, right? Um, And obviously, I know they're different. Pepsi's way better, okay? I'm just seeing if you're listening. That's all I'm doing up here. All right, the second option, Elijah, okay? Now, this one is amazing that this rumor is flying about. Elijah is a figure from the Bible who lived about 750 years before Jesus. That's the equivalent of someone from the 1200s coming back today and walking around doing deeds of power. And we'd be like, oh yeah, it's so-and-so from the 1200s. Do you know anyone from the 1200s? Anybody? Like, <laughs> like I, I literally was thinking this week, like, I don't know anyone from the 1200s. Like, I'd be very hard-pressed. Like, modern English wasn't a thing in the 1200s. So even if someone popped up from England in the 1200s today, we couldn't talk to them because they'd be speaking a different version of English from us. The reason Elijah, though, gets airtime is because he was such a critical prophet from the Bible, and he never died. He ascended to heaven in a chariot of fire. And yes, that's where we get the song. And or lots of songs, actually. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. So that's Elijah. He gets taken up into heaven, and then there becomes some prophecies about Elijah's return. One day, one day, God says, I will send my prophet Elijah back. And he will come in anticipation of the great day of the Lord. And so people start to think, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the anticipated figure who is ushering in God's day, God's throne. And then finally, uh, the, the last one here, the ambiguous option. For those sitting on the fence, we're not really sure he's one of the prophets, right? Like, we think it's pretty cool. He's just one of the prophets. Um, You know, the reflective, careful observers don't want to make a certain judgment about it, but that's the final option. All right, I kind of wonder now, what is Jesus thinking? And what is he feeling as the disciples bring these options to him, you know? And we don't get his response exactly, so it's just kind of a fun exercise to think about. But here's what Jesus does. He takes these options and he turns this into quite a teaching moment. And that's where we'll pick up the story. So he, that is Jesus, asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. 
or the Christ. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He said all this quite openly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Oh boy. Okay, that took a dramatic turn, didn't it? We've got Jesus dropping Satan (laughs) and calling Peter Satan. So let's unpack it. All right, so Peter first says, you are the Messiah or the Christ. Now, it's the same word in the Greek, and we can translate it either way as Messiah or Christ. I'm using them interchangeably. But it's not clear how much Peter has resolved this identity for Jesus. I mean, is this Peter with his hand on his heart saying to Jesus, you are the Messiah? Or is he kind of up here? Well, you're the Messiah. Or is he somewhere in between those gestures? You know, we don't quite know. But for Jesus, this is hand-over-heart reality. Right away, Jesus takes this moment very seriously. He sternly orders them, don't tell anyone. And then he flips the script and he tells them what Messiah really means to him and this identity that he is taking up. I've summarized what he says in some bullet points, okay? This is Jesus' self-definition of Messiah or Christ. He uses the phrase son of man, which is a term he lifts from the Bible, which can mean basically the human being. Behold, the human has come. He will undergo great suffering. He will be rejected by the established authorities. He will be killed, and three days he will rise again. When Jesus says, I am the Messiah, That is what he means. Now, this is very, very different from one of the most common perspectives and expectations of Messiah during Jesus' day. So I want to show you what the disciples' expectations were. We have the anointed one, which is the original meaning. And they expected that the Messiah would be a warrior king wielding a sword who would come in and establish God's kingdom once and for all like King David did in the Bible for years and years, centuries ago. They expected that the Messiah would unite all of Israel 
liberating it from all its enemies, including the Roman Empire, which is the current occupying force in Jerusalem and all over the region. The Messiah would solidify the temple as the most important location on earth because that's where God's presence dwelled. And then the Messiah would establish justice and peace for all the nations. Now, I like to think of these opposing visions of the Messiah as opposing stairways. We have Jesus' version. He is taking the downward stairway, the pathway of descent, where he's going down and down into submission, into suffering, into death. He will then rise again, but not before descending the path of descent. This version of the Messiah is the pathway of ascent. It's a stairway up all the way to heaven. You got it, stairway to heaven. You can hum it. (laughs) The stairway of heaven, that's what the disciples want. So it's understandable. When, When Peter hears Jesus talking about suffering and death, he pulls Jesus aside. And this is where we get this gesture, right? He he pulls him aside like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, we're not going with you down. That's not what we signed up. We're not taking the downward stairway. We're going up, baby. That's what we're here for. And Jesus turns, looks at all the disciples, and he takes this private moment with Peter and makes it very public. And he says, Get behind me, Satan. I don't think he's so much trying to insult Peter. You know, he's not trying to name call exactly. What he's doing here is he's trying to say to Peter, you are playing a role of a tempter or someone trying to test me. Because Peter, you don't know. I am faced with this test every moment. Will I choose power? Or will I choose submission and suffering for the sake of others? That's the test. Constantly, when Jesus puts his hand on his heart and says, I am the Messiah, every moment, every day, he is faced with that tension. What will he choose? Will he choose power over? Or will he choose power with and for? Which stairway will Jesus take to get there? This is the first time Jesus is more openly claiming his identity for himself. This is an identity that others are saying about him, maybe. But for him to take it on himself, that is different entirely. That is a moment he has to go through himself. He has to claim his identity. He has to make meaning of it for himself. The downward pathway that Jesus chooses has enormous implications for all of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus. That's the way. This is the way. Jesus calls us to go with him. And we could unpack a lot of that, always. That is always something we will wrestle with together as a community around Jesus. 
But today I want to focus just that little bit on the meaning question, the question of identity and how that's handed to Jesus. This, this term, Messiah, Christ, and how Jesus takes that, turns it here, and how he transforms it for himself, how he makes it his own. I think Jesus would invite all of us and empower all of us to do the same with all the identities that are handed down to us. And they are legion, right? They come to us from all kinds of places. First, from our family, families of origins, right? When we are born, we are a boy or a girl, or are we? And then the powers that be start to tell us who we are. Someone taught me that I'm a sinner. Others told me that I'm a consumer. And then others told me that I need to be a man. How am I to accept those identities? How am I to take those here? I, can, I confess to you, I continue to wrestle with even the ones I just named. And there are many, many more identities and titles that come my way. And that is one of the tasks, one of the tests of our lives. How will we embrace those identities that come at us? Will we transform them into something life-giving that bear good fruit for the sake of others as Jesus took his calling and identity into himself. One of the ways I've uh, more recently wrestled with this is the title pastor. And I'm going to put that in air quotes. I am a pastor. <laughs> I started um, making TikToks recently. Um, Y'all on TikTok? Who's on TikTok? Give it up. Yeah, Okay. It's about 20% <laughs> just reading the room, which, yeah, makes sense. Um, TikTok is a, is a platform or an app where people create short videos and share them, okay? And you can find literally everything on TikTok now. It started as, like, dances, okay? And dance moves. And what would you say? My account. Pastor DBG. Yeah, you follow me. Give me a follow. All right, you folks online too, Pastor DBG. All right. Um, all right, so, so I, <laughs> that was great. Pastor DBG. <laughs> um, okay, so, um, right, you can find all kinds of stuff on TikTok, 10 out of 10, highly recommend, because once you find your people, like what you're interested in, like literally, I follow people who explain Stoic philosophy and church history, and it's awesome. I love it. Okay. Now, I started making stuff related to Bible and theology content, and, uh, you know, some people like my stuff. Other people don't. <laughs> Imagine that. And, uh, and the ones who don't sometimes leave comments. And the comments are fascinating. So one, I'll give you an example, said, why call yourself a pastor when you're not even a Christian? 
Another one, what you're saying is contrary to the inerrant word of God. You're no pastor. And they put it in quotes in the comment. It's great stuff. <laughs> and, and my favorite so far, you're a heretic. And I hope you get burned at the stake. <laughs> My first death wish on social media. I was so proud. I was like, <laughs> I've, thank you. I have arrived. It was just like, by the way, when I get, when I get a lot of comments like that, I just hit them with random emojis. Like literally, I just scroll through emojis and hit random stuff. And then they're like trying to discern. What's he saying? I'm not saying anything because you didn't tell me anything respectful, so I won't comment back in a respectful way. Like, there's nothing to say. Anyway, okay, this, was been, this has been so helpful for me. Seeing the word pastor in quotes helped me because I started to think about it like, oh, these folks see me. They see pastor in my title, and it has messed them up. The reason it has messed them up is because there is a title, there is an identity at work in the world called pastor. And that title, that identity has been handed to me. And I have had to figure out how will I take the identity pastor with all the expectations out there and bring it into here so I can say, I am a pastor. And I recognize I and Tom and Adie and I, we do it very differently from a lot of other models and churches out there. And so I understand how it can mess with people and their categories and expectations. But I got to tell you, I've been so helped by this. I've used this in prayer. I've been thinking about even just doing this exercise saying, I am a pastor. It's powerful, folks. I have to figure out, what am I doing here with that? How am I a pastor? How, literally, how? <laughs> how did that come to be? And what am I making of that title? How am I exercising that trust, that responsibility? What are the tests and temptations that come my way with the word and title, pastor? Now, folks, we can do this with everything. I can do it as father. I can do this as man, as husband, spouse, every identity. I feel like this is a constant process where the world is evolving. We are evolving. And as we hear the identities of what other people say we are, how will we bring those identities inside? How do we wish to internalize them and exercise our power, our responsibility, our calling with the identities that have come our way. And the identities, by the way, that God would call us to. That is the question for us as we follow Jesus on his pathway. So I want to invite us now to take a moment in prayer where I'm going to invite you to pick an identity who do people say you are? And pick one. Who do people say you are? Pick one of those. And in prayer, I'm going to invite you to put your, or you can do this, I would recommend doing this in your body with the gesture. Place your hand over your chest. 
and to just say, I am fill in the blank. So God, we want to use this time in prayer with you. There are so many identities, so many titles that come our way in the world. Help us to sift through those, oh God. So go ahead, quietly pick one of those identities for you. Who do people say you are? And bring it to God in prayer as you say, I am Notice how you feel about that identity. What tensions or what questions pop up as you think about claiming that identity? How do you wish to make it different from some of the expectations out there in the world? How is God calling you forward with this identity? God, there are so many ways that we are tested. And I know you have compassion on us and on our bodies. So give us courage and strength to make the identities we've received, to make them somehow our own, to reject wholly the identities that do not fit to receive and to transform the identities that do in a way that is generative and life-giving for us and for the world. Give us courage. Give us wisdom, O oh God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to transition now to a time of communion. So we invite the worship team to come forward. Let me read the words of, of St. Paul from Corinthians. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Um, speaking of gestures, think about that gesture, by the way. Just Jesus breaking the bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we have stations available. There's gluten-free here. The two front stations have individual servings, if you prefer those. The back stations have an open bread, an open cup, where you can take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. Uh, so we invite you to come as you're ready for communion.